Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what's up? Welcome in. It is GC Live Thursday episode of the show. West Mitchell joined, as you see right there, by my good buddy Colin Taylor. We are rotating through the entire GC crew. Colin is going to talk, as he always does, football, baseball, some basketball. We got everything to cover today. Colin covers pretty much every single sport on Gamecock Central. Before we get to that, though, got to tell you about my good buddy Clint Hammond. He is the presenting sponsor of GC Live. Check him out, ClintHammond.com, 803-771-6933. You can see Clint's smiling face right here on the screen if you're if you're on the YouTube version of the show. 71597 is the NMLS number. Colin, uh, appreciate you hopping on, man. I I will not do you like Yuva and just start throwing up. When, when I saw that that random picture of Clint we have there, I was like, man, I should have I should have brought in some some random Colin Colin picks, dude. Y'all have had quite a Twitter battle going on uh, as of late. I, I know you've always have had a Twitter battle going, but I feel like the intensity has ramped up here lately, huh? See, the the only drawback is I was in middle school when Facebook started really getting popular, and so middle schoolers. Everyone regrets being in middle school generally at, at times. So yeah. um, the photos of me from middle school are obviously saved on Facebook. So he has a little bit more ammunition. But um, as the weather warms up and, and South Carolina fans start feeling really good about football and baseball kicking off, um, puts people in a good mood. So we're ready to kind of get it going a little bit more. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it only because I think I'm winning. So I, I really like where things stand right now. Well, we probably need to um, maybe contact the Yuva family. And yeah, his dad would definitely give me some ammunition if I contact. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, he, he may have won the battle on a couple of those, I must yeah. say. But I, I imagine there's some ammo out there uh, that you could you could just probably end this thing with, I, yeah. I would think. So – Maybe you just got to dig a little bit deeper on that, and and because I, I I get the feeling that Mike's mom and dad like would love the opportunity to oh, help you win this thing. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I can't wait. I might have to like get a scanner for the sole purpose of like like if they mail me just like their old family photo albums to yeah. like scan it in and be ready to go for it. Yeah. So if y'all if y'all want to go check that out at Colin Taylor on Twitter. Um, Mike, I think underscore Yuva on Twitter. They're having a Twitter war 
um, that is ongoing. Probably will never end. Uh, but yeah, Colin, we appreciate you taking the time, man. So I, I guess let's start with the least newsy thing, actually, but maybe the most interesting thing from today, just because it's football and there's not really a heck of a lot else going on yeah. um, so far today. But uh, under the lights, spring game under the lights. Uh, I, I think I think it's a good idea, man. I, I think we've seen we've seen the spring game. It was kind of weird that under Will Muschamp, some years the spring game was like a big deal. Like when he first got here, I, it felt like there were there was at least some effort to mm-hmm. make the spring game matter a, a bit. Then. As it sort of progressed, there were lots of times where I felt like spring game was just like an afterthought. Didn't really, you know, it wasn't really promoted right. much. It, it wasn't even that there wasn't anything extra involved. It was just that it literally, it was like, well, you know, here's a spring game. Come on out. It, it was practice number 15. That's all it was. Yeah, it, it did not feel, uh, you know, and even Spurrier, there were times I feel like going way back when it was kind of a big deal with Spurrier. And then there were times when it, it wasn't. Um, this is cool. There, for those who haven't seen, there's a concert. Patrick Davis is playing. Um, baseball game is is that afternoon, right, Colin? Yeah, I think one o'clock. So one o'clock, first pitch there. Under the lights, there's a there's a five k going on. Um, there'll be some drinking going on. They're going to be serving beer in the stadium, just like a regular game as well. So. Yeah, your your thoughts, man, on uh, on this. I guess it's a marketing decision on this marketing decision by South Carolina to to make it a night game. Uh, makes my day personally a little bit more hectic um, covering baseball than bouncing over. But I think it's incredibly smart. You have such this wave of momentum going from winning the almost called it the Belk Bowl, winning the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, to with Rattler, with this recruiting class, with everything that's involved with it, you have so much momentum that it's you need to take advantage of it. You need to to bottle it and put it towards other things and generate some excitement. And I think this is a, a big way to do it. And um, a lot of these programs now are treating the spring game like a celebration, like a party, and it works. It. It's really cool for the fans to be able to go out and claim fans who clamor for night games all year to go out and have a night spring game to be able to enjoy, you know, their beverage of choice tailgating for a really long time. And it's really cool. And I think that it's going to be interesting for recruiting. I think it's a really big recruiting sell to have guys. um, I believe that they could visit for the spring game. Um, Guys come in and get a little bit of a different experience. I know Georgia's done big things like this in the past. Uh, I remember being in Athens for a baseball series the year they had ludicrous play. Um, so Matt Connolly and I almost went to the Georgia spring game just for the sole purpose of seeing a ludicrous halftime show. We did not. I'm kind of disappointed, honestly, that you yeah. did. Well, the way it worked was like we would have had to have got down there at like noon and the baseball game wasn't until like six. So it was like, are we really going to like go watch a 30 minute ludicrous show and then just have nothing to do for like three hours. Um, so that was something, but the, the excitement around it, that's the point I was trying to make is that all these big programs have celebrations, have parties involved with their spring games and um, South Carolina's doing, it. I think it's a really, really, really smart decision on a lot of different fronts. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be interested to see how it maybe grows, how it gets yeah. tweaked, how I've, I've said for, 
a couple of years now, the food truck market has become such a big thing in Columbia. It's even bigger in some other cities, but it's that the food truck market here has grown mm-hmm. a, a ton in the last, what, maybe five, yeah. five, 10 years. Like, I mean, it's a thing now. So, you know, I, I think you implement that. Um, I don't know, man, some different like beer garden type yeah, stuff. Have like a pop-up beer garden. From yeah, like there, there's some fun stuff you can do that these days is much, I, I will say it like this, it's much more easy to implement those things yeah. now than it probably was 10 years ago because it just wasn't a thing. Now you see a different food truck parked, um, you know, all over the place in, in Columbia yeah. now. So it's there are some options out there for you. And let's be honest, if you want to look at it from just the football side, this was already going to be made, I would say definitely the most attended spring game in some time just because people are ready to lay eyes on Spencer Rattler and see what that looks like. And uh, there's such excitement building off the bowl game. It makes sense to sort of, uh, you know, I hate to use this terminology, it makes sense to to kind of go all in on this year's spring game because you have some organic excitement built up. You know, if this was all just manufactured excitement, it might be different, but you have some organic excitement. So now you sort of, I think that's when you add in what I would call manufactured excitement where you're, you're trying to do some, some, I say gimmick, but not in a negative way. Um, you're, you're just trying to capitalize on the momentum that you already have, I think. Yeah, and, and let's be honest here, if this was, you know, I'm not disparaging the guy, but if this was coming off the four and eight year for Muschamp and there's just not a lot of excitement around the program and you, you're having it at night and doing all this, it, it would feel like square peg going into a round hole. Now it's like, well, now it makes sense. Fans want to get out there and see Spencer Rattler. Fans want to get out there and kind of bask in still this, this you haven't played a game on the 22 schedule yet bask in just the enjoyment of winning the off season and um, feeling good about where the direction of the program and, and all this stuff. So yeah, it makes sense to have all the things around it and to make this a big deal because not only does it help fan base, the fan base enjoy South Carolina football, but it also, like I said, with recruiting, you, you know, you spring games are supposed to stand out because it is a lot of people take, you know, this is practice number 15. You have to stand out a little bit. Well, Muschamp wanted to have it earlier in the year to not conflict with any other spring games. Um, and now it's a little bit different. Now you get a production. Now you get the night game, the fireworks, the concert, the I think they're calling it big Gamecock weekend or whatever it is. Just yeah, they're selling out for it, like in the, in the best way possible. And I think that that's important. If this program wants to continue to move forward, there has to be traditions like this there has to be things that you do to stand out from you know the other schools that you're recruiting against first and foremost and for the fan base to really latch on to and I think this is a way to do kind of all of those things wrapped into one no doubt man so Gamecock Central will of course uh be there um Mike Uva will be out there probably tailgating among the fans yeah he'll, and, be, he'll uh, be in the frat lots handing out Bojangles gift cards is what he'll be doing yes he, he will still have Bojangles cards left I promise you yeah. he's got a thousand of them I think yeah. I also think yeah I mean gift cards the, the, the man is on brand he was on here yesterday what was sure. he wearing Bojangles yeah. uh shirt of course um yeah. just kidding buddy we love you Mikey um <laughs> so as we were talking some new, I, I guess, probably 
it would fall in the same uh, category. A little bit of information coming out. Gamecocks women bas- Gamecocks women's basketball announcing that college game day, Colin, will be on campus um, at South Carolina mm-hmm. on February 20th at noon. South Carolina, Tennessee is at 1 p.m. So Don Staley and the women's basketball team getting the the game day treatment. That's uh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, to the winner, to the victor, go the spoils, right? Um, South Carolina has been the class of women's basketball and, I mean, basketball in general for the last six, seven years. You deserve a chance like this. You deserve an opportunity to put your fan base on display, put your fan base in front of a national TV audience and, I don't know if there's another women's basketball program in the country that's hosted college game day. Uh, I could be wrong uh, off the top of my head, but pretty dang sweet. <laughs> if you're Don Staley and all you have to do and now in recruiting is flip on the tape and say that can, that's only happened in Columbia, South Carolina. And um, that's really cool. And the game itself, Tennessee scuffled some of late, but two weeks ago that looked like winner would win the SEC regular season crown. So Still a massive game and a chance for South Carolina to put on in front of a national audience and I think submit Aaliyah Boston's candidacy to be national player of the year. Yeah, I was going to ask. I didn't know either. I was going to ask if you knew if that was – Right. I mean, how, how often a women's basketball program has gotten that type of national ESPN treatment. Um, pretty special, and I guarantee the fans will be out, man. They, I mean, that program has such Ooh. great support anyway, but – add in the, the game day and, and just the the novelty of it being, uh, you know, the first time they've been here for, for South Carolina women's basketball will be a, a pretty special scene in 10 days at Colonial Life Arena. Um, let, let's talk some 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 on-field and on-court and, and all those things, uh, sports as well. The, uh, the news – I tell you what, man, the news, I was happy, I, I guess, for the guys that got invited to the NFL Combine, but – Jalen Foster, I mean, I, I get, like, I get it. He's not projected to be a third, you know, top three, top four round pick, I guess. But yeah. you would think, and I, I know stats don't translate necessarily to the NFL. But, man, you would think if you're an SEC starter, All-American, uh, the year he had, the production he had, you would think that would have had, you'd had a pretty good chance of sneaking in. Yeah. To uh, to the draft combine um, was disappointed. Frankly, I was just personally disappointed for him because um, he comes across as such a good, genuine dude. Has obviously worked so hard to get to where he he was this year, and um, he'll have he'll have his opportunities, of course, right. with pro day and all that stuff. But um, were, were you were you surprised at that, or, or not really? Not as much as other people were. Just. I know a lot of people got upset with him not being on pro football focuses list and, and looking at some of the advanced numbers. Um, he wasn't like, it, it was still good. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like. They weren't oh, as high on him. As, yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that, for that reason, I, I wasn't overly shocked. No one just kind of what his draft stock was, but when you start listing off all these qualifications, I mean, SEC starter on a team that won a bowl game, not only went to a bowl game and won a bowl game on one of the best pass defenses in the league and by proxy of the country, 
then you factor in the All-American nature of it and the fact that he, he was in position to, I think, have, what, five or six interceptions. That stuff makes you go, wow, I can't believe that dude didn't get an, at least an invite to it. So on one hand, I am a little shocked, and on the other, I can understand why he didn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the and PFF, if you look just even game by game, mm-hmm. their system, I, I guess you would say, of grading – was never quite as high on him as right. it would appear from the uh, just like traditional stats. Now, that said, you look at what he meant to that secondary. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll always feel like the truth sort of is somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I don't look at PFF as being like, oh, that grade right. is the end all be all of how good of a player you are. Um, is there, merit to it though yeah of course mm-hmm. there is so I, I think um yeah you know there, there's a lot of players in the country right so right. you're talking about whittling it down to a very select few but still i mean may, maybe it is more of a personal thing for me but i just it, it would have been oh, yeah, you root for a guy like that yeah I'm you got to root for Jalen. yeah but so, um so quandre white goes kevin harris goes we knew jj anybody that was a given but um the that's a guy that um you know, prior to the season, you probably wouldn't have projected uh, that, and and he played his way into it. So, so it's not even a thing like with Foster, where it's like, well, maybe they kind of already had an idea of who was going to go. You know, mm-hmm. White played his way into it, and that uh, that's a big deal for him. I, I think, Colin, I I was unsure if he would get that invite, and now he, he gets to show what he can do on a little bit bigger stage, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a guy probably right now is, you know, day three somewhere, probably in in the draft big boards on scouting. You just don't know with him. Um, But now gives a chance. Obviously, he's going to be able to do things at South Carolina's pro day in a couple weeks. But now he has a chance to go out there in front of GMs and scouts and, you know, the big boys of of the NFL and put up those testing numbers, show some of what he's able to do from – he was a really great running back for South Carolina, but him in the pass game, they used him a lot in the screens and, and putting him in the open field, and, and he was great there. So now you get a chance to show that a little bit, show some of your you know, explosiveness, your speed, your, you know, your 40 time, all the stuff they're going to put you through. So I think it's a big chance for him to elevate his stock to maybe – late day two, early day three kind of player. And the the draft or the combine is, is a huge, huge part of that for him. Well, and this is, uh, I think, uh, he, he's a guy I've thought might be that player that doesn't really, like like most people out of South Carolina, outside of the South Carolina bubble, mm-hmm. maybe don't necessarily know a lot about him. But if he finds the right opportunity – we may sit here five or six years from now and he he's still in the league and he right. he's willing to give so much on special teams. I think that that maybe gives him a a little bit of an edge. All the guys that have that that energy and that drive to to help in that area. Um sometimes get you know it's even it's that little the margin for error error is so small right. that you know maybe maybe that helps. So yeah. um we're going to talk some baseball, some men's basketball. Before we get to baseball, Colin, um, for last week's shows and this week's shows, we've also been sponsored 
by Home Field Apparel. Did um, did you get your Home Field in the mail? I did. I got my Home Field. Um, I got the one. I'm, I'm looking at the graphic now. I got the one where Cocky looks like he's headed into a bar fight, and it says Spurs up. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're down there in the bottom. Uh, comfortable as all get out. Um, I have a few different home field shirts or I bought from home field before for other schools. So fantastic brand that the, the uh, hashtag good brand, I believe is what they call themselves. And I'm eyeing the, the fighting Gamecocks hoodie at one point, maybe soon when uh next paycheck clears. That, that thing um, is sweet. I, I feel like that was the most just complete, like, what do you call it? Straw pole, like a, a not technical pole at all. It seemed like that hoodie was maybe the most popular thing I heard people talking about. Like I heard several people be like, "That thing is what I want." And they, I guess, Gamecock fans, you broke the system for a moment, like hitting the buy button so fast. So. Yeah, the the Gamecock baseball shirt's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, yeah. Looking at, I mean, just bar fat cocky is fantastic. The women's basketball one's great. Um, and then I think that Gamecock baseball t-shirt might be finding a spot somewhere soon, um, in the wardrobe. Definitely, man. So homefieldapparel.com, use code Gamecock Central. Uh, you'll get 15% off your first order. So, uh, that means not every order, your first order. So go ahead and like rack up, I don't know, hundred, $200 worth of stuff and, and take advantage of that. But it's a very soft shirt. That was what. They're really, really good. Very comfortable. Yeah. Um, I can't endorse it enough. I got a, a Michigan um, shirt for Christmas, so I've worn that a couple. I wore that for their playoff game. Um, so I don't know when the next time I'm going to break that one out might be, but um, yeah. yeah, really comfortable. My mom has a Virginia Tech hoodie that she loves to no end, so um, the good brand stays good. Definitely, man. So we, we appreciate Homefield uh, letting us – help share uh, share the news about their new line with South Carolina. And, uh, again, Gamecock Central is the code. You can use 15% off your first order. Baseball season is upon us. Colin, first of all, are you ready, man? Are you prepared? Are you mentally ready um, <laughs> for, for the grind? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's – what's today, the 10th? It doesn't feel like it's eight days away. Um, I guess, goodness, tomorrow will be – a week before opening day that makes my chest get tight a little bit knowing that hoops is finishing up and football springs cranking up and then baseball but i'm excited man this is a good group and i don't know what they might be or what they'll turn into over the course of the next three four months but it's a fun group and they got some pieces to be interesting at least this year yeah let's start there um let, let's say gamecock fan is listening or watching and they're they're a baseball fan, but they haven't dialed in yet. I think yeah. a lot of people it takes – you kind of have your, your hardcore fans, in my opinion. Then you have your your next sort of level where they're when the season starts, they're all in. They're going to pay attention. They're going to pull for the team. They're going to go to some games. But they just haven't quite locked in to, to everything yet. If you can, speak to that fan for a moment. Um, give us that sort of broad – I guess somewhat broad, but with insight overview of what you've witnessed, what you've observed so far um, about this team, as far as expectations going into this new season in eight days. Yeah, this is a team with talent, with enough talent to 
make the postseason um, without a doubt. I feel like that should be the expectation. I mean, you are South Carolina baseball. Like that is no doubt the expectation is to make the postseason. If all the pieces play like they're supposed to, like you brought them in and you stay healthy, then this is a team that has a chance to not only win games in the postseason, but potentially host a regional. And you just don't know at this time of the year you're having to rely on. I think they did. I did the math yesterday. They have 18 newcomers between D1 transfers, JUCO guys, and freshmen. So um, if you're a casual fan, bring your program, print out the roster <laughs> to match numbers with names and because there's a lot of new faces on this team. But they have some frontline guys. Um, you have your Will Sanders coming off a of freshman All-American year. Julian Bosnick, who turned down a bunch of money to you know to come back to school and not go pro and, and be you know one of your two frontline starters. Um, Andrew Eister's back. Uh, Garnet Trust member Andrew Eister. Um, you have Braylon Wimmer, who's shown promise. You've had you know Josiah Seitler coming into his second full season as a starter. So you have some pieces that are returning, and you also have some talented transfers coming in some talented freshmen coming in that are going to make an impact. And if all those pieces come together offensively and come together on the pitching staff side of things, this is a team that has a chance to not only make the postseason but but win some games, but far too many unknowns. Um, <laughs> I joked yesterday after one of the scrimmages that I've watched this team from the fall to and through the first, I guess, two or three weeks of scrimmages, and I still don't know a whole lot about it. And I'm around this team a bunch. So um, a lot of unknowns going around with the baseball team right now. Well, you know, man, South, South Carolina is always going to have some level of talent. Like, right. they're always going to be a, a talented team. Uh, I think the, the question is these days always going to be, how is it when you compare it to the rest of an SEC that just even, you know, even when, when like Ray Tanner and, and that, those groups are really getting going, you just didn't have the support throughout the league. Right. by other programs that you do now. So that the competition, I mean, it, it's it's much like football in that you can be you can be the the literal number 15 team in the country and you might be like middle of the pack um or or worse depending on the year w- within your own conference. So I, I think that's I, I mean that that certainly makes it difficult on somebody like Mark Kingston. It certainly you know, the expectations, I think the expectations here still remain what they've been for a long time, and that's that South Carolina baseball should win and should compete for Omaha. Yeah. And you're playing in a conference where you can get humbled um, very, very quickly. And then as you just expressed, you don't know, you know, you think you – even the staff, I, yeah. I bet the staff really doesn't – When you know, the coaching staff probably doesn't completely know what to expect once they put these guys out onto the field for the first time against SEC competition, like together, you know, you think, you know, you hope, you know, you watch practice does not equal games. No. And and you can show flashes and be, you know, right now, Kate Austin's looked really good. Um, Redshirt freshman from Chapin. um, Shout out district Lexington, Richland district five. Um, He's a guy that's looked really good in, in spring leading up to the season. And he's going to pitch big innings for South Carolina in some capacity, whether that's as a starter, whether that's a, a key bullpen piece. But you just don't know until he gets out there. And, you know, I've seen a lot of guys have great, you know, preseasons. 
and all of a sudden the season comes and they, they falter or injuries pop up. So I don't know if this pitching staff, I know this pitching staff doesn't have necessarily the depth that last year's did where you go, okay, well, Thomas Farr just pitched. We got Brandon Jordan. He just pitched. Okay, Brett Carey. Okay, here's Will Sanders. Here's Julian Bosnick. Here's Danny Lloyd. Here's you know Andy Peters. They don't have that, but they have some pieces that if you can manage it correctly and get these guys to the level of being able to pitch consistently, you're good. But you never know that until you're lining up against Clemson, against Texas, against Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia, they you know got to play A and M this year on the road. Until then, you just don't know. New se- several new pieces of this coaching staff. Um, cool. What and I, I know it's we're still preseason. We'll we'll all find out when the games start. But I'll, I'll ask it. I guess very generally, what impact have you seen from them so far? Just from a sense of. Is there anything in particular or a couple of things in particular you've picked up that either on the pitching side or the hitting side that these new coaches have tried to focus on or tried to implement? Any major changes? I, I mean, obviously, I think we all know, and I was reading your article today, on the offensive approach side, there there has to be less strikeouts. Like yeah. that, that's a that's like maybe priority number one for the entire offseason, I would I would think, from the outside looking in. But what what has been what, – what are the specific changes you've noticed that are there, these guys are implementing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a more holistic offense. It's not going to be one – we've seen, going back to 2019, this is a South Carolina team that wanted to live off, you know, cranking a ball 350, 400 feet for home runs. And when the ball's flying, that's fantastic. You know, this is that was an offense that could be feared, but when they had to get a bunt down or runner at third less than one out, you know, hit a ball to the outfield and, and get a fly ball to get the guy in, they just they didn't do it enough. And you know, they were I think fifth in the league in strikeouts, but a lot of those happened with guys on. They struggled in situational hitting, so the emphasis from Chad Kaye, who was the engineer of Southern Miss's really good offenses in the 2000s and spent the last couple of years at A&M, it's body control, it's bat path, it's approach, it's understanding when to swing and when not to swing, and just the the overall calm approach to two-strike hitting, to hitting in a full count, hitting with two outs, hitting with a guy at second and no one out, um, things like that that they really needed to, to improve on. That's been the focus, and, and Chad's done a really good job. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think the offense is where he or South Carolina wants um, for the most part, and never is on February tenth. <laughs> but there's been progress, at least I've seen. The approach has been a lot better. I think they're walking more through the preseason than I remember in years past. So there's improvements being made. I definitely think so. And now it's just a matter of can it continue against. 95 96 miles an hour when you're facing you know these elite arms you're gonna have to face not only week in and week out in the league but day in and day out uh, in the sec yeah and i think you know sometimes we uh, you know fans media whoever if you if you are locked in on one team um you know which you, you know if you're a fan out there you watch south carolina versus whoever they're playing most of the time you're not dialing in on florida and lsu more than likely, unless you're just a super hardcore fan. My point being, 
these Friday guys you face in this league, they're going to make a lot of people look bad um, yeah. m- more often than not. So it, it's not it's not that you're ever going to just completely cut down on those things. You're going to have some some poor offensive performances, and a lot of times it's just because the caliber of the guy you're facing. I, I think for South Carolina, it just felt like – I mean, I remember thinking the beginning part of last year when South Carolina was facing lesser competition – the offense looked like pretty good and they, you know, they were, they were bashing the ball all over the place. Well, when it sort of evened out and the the competition uh, jumped up the, you know, the the strikeouts just rose to an extent that uh, it's not sustainable as far as being successful in offense, I I think. And I, I don't know about you, Colin. I, I personally sort of look at that stuff. It's kind of a sliding scale. Like you don't, you don't want it to go so far this way that your guys aren't hitting for power at all. Like, power is a big part yeah. of scoring runs, especially in modern baseball, man. And, and it's South baseball. I mean, let's yeah, be honest. So South Carolina is, yeah. you got to be able to bash still, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And they're going to hit – I mean, they got dudes who can hit home runs. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Andrew Eister is a guy that can – has hit for a lot of power, had double-digit home runs last year. Um, you had – you're bringing back Braylon Wimmer, who I think if he didn't have double digits, had pretty darn close to double digit home runs, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Seitler can hit for power. Um, trying to go through the list. Carson Hornum um, is a guy that I think is going to hit for some power, Some fr- a freshman lefty. Uh, Talmadge LaCroix, another guy who can hit for some power. He's the only one with multiple home runs this preseason. So, um there's some pieces there that can hit for power, but you also need to have those contact guys. Your Michael Braswells, who's more than likely going to be your starting shortstop, your Brant Belks, your Kyle Maddens, um, your Matt Hogan's or Evan Stones of the world. So you're going to need those guys. And I think they have them. It's just a matter of, can they do it? <laughs> can they hit for average and get on base for, you know, the, the power guys to, instead of solo shots, it's a two or a three run homer. Let's go out to our chat line here. And uh, and by the way, uh, we, we actually have a new chat line sponsor that I'm going to tell you all about um, in a moment. But first, let, let's hit Kyle's question. Um, he wants to know, with Sanders and Bosnick now in the starting roles, uh, those guys are Friday and Saturday, but in we don't know what order yet. Is that right, Colin? Or is Not that- yet. Sanders has pitched better in the preseason than Bosnick has, but we don't know officially. Okay, so th- those will be one and two in some order. Um Kyle wants to know who are the candidates to take over the closing role. And I'll also go ahead and throw in, um, is it locked in who the Sunday guy is going to be, or is that still up in the air as well, Kyle? Both are kind of up in the air right now. Um, I know it's probably a cop-out answer, but James Hicks is probably your starter or your leading candidate to be the Sunday guy. At least he was entering the preseason, and he had a, a really good day on Saturday. So, that's someone I'd probably is if we're sitting here right now, James Hicks is probably that guy, a junior college pitcher who's 91, 92, 93 with a really good breaking ball um, can throw three pitches. So that's something. Um, and then for closer, Michael Esposito has been a guy that's been floated out there, a, a junior college lefty who's up to, you know, 91, 92 will probably get up to 93, 94, potentially 95 on his fastball. Um, that's a guy that I could potentially see doing that. Noah Hall, another one who I think will 
for the 2018 South Carolina baseball fans, the Eddie Demarius role of middle relief, setup man, closer, however they need him to pitch. Um, that guy. Um, so he could do that. And honestly, uh, Michael Braswell, who's going to be your starting shortstop more than likely, has been up to like 92 on the mound and looked really good out there doing it. I mean, he struck out Brant Belk and Andrew Eister in uh, Wednesday's scrimmage um, with a really good breaking ball. And it's just, it's not overpowering, but it's been deceptive. And, you know, using him on the back end, it you don't have to then play the weird game of if he comes in in the seventh and he goes back to short, you lose your DH. And he could potentially be your closer at times this year. So they have a few options. I would think that those – the Espos, the Halls, and, and maybe a Braswell are your probably three candidates to close, and then Hicks, maybe a Hall, and maybe an Austin. Maybe a West Sweat um, is your Sunday game, but I think Hicks is the clubhouse leader right now. I'm glad you brought up Braswell. Um, as a former middle infielder myself, um, give me give me a scouting report. I always like to know um, who the Gamecock shortstop is going to be. It sounds like that's going to be Braswell, but what – can I expect? Um, it, does he compare to anybody in recent memory? I mean, it seems like the, you know the Gamecocks over the years, man, go all the way back to when I was in school, and Reese Havens was, was the shortstop. I mean, there and, and even b- well before that, there's been a long line of some really good shortstops at this place. So give give me the you know scouting report. What what's the style of play here? Um, you know, is he more of a hitter? Is he a defensive guy? Big arm, smooth glove. What what can we expect, man? I need I need some detail on on the shortstop. He is smooth as hell. Like Michael Braswell is a smooth. He's been really good. Um, he's made. I don't think he's not had not had to make like one of those tough plays in the preseason yet. But every play that's hit to him, he's made. Um, he's probably more offensive than some of the other shortstops we've seen over the recent memories. I mean, George Khalil was the most offensive player on the roster. Um, Marcus Mooney, I don't think, was the most offensive player on the roster. But uh, Braswell has good bat-the-ball skills, um, doesn't strike out a bunch, has a really good plate approach, turned down money to come to school, um, had a chance to go pro, never got drafted, but had a chance to go pro if he wanted to, uh, but opted to come back. Uh, I really like his game. Um, he's really good footwork. He's got a chance to be special. If he continues to develop and, and play the way in a, you know scouts and the coaching staff thinks he can play, he's got a chance to be a, a multi-year starter at South Carolina and, and be one of the better players on this team for however long he's at Carolina because I don't think it'll be four years. Yeah, and if, if he's in the running for closer possibly as well, I mean yeah. – does he have some swag about him, Colin? Like, does he have a little, a little like a bit little yeah. edge? Yeah, he's. It's like a. It's one of those dudes that you talk to, and you're like, man, that was like the most genial, nice, like mild mannered human being I've ever met. And then he just he's a grinder, man. Like I know that's like stupid baseball cliche stuff, but he's just a dude that loves ball, and mm-hmm. he's gonna go out there and, and be really competitive with you. Um, he likes to chirp. He likes to talk to his teammates and he, he's just, he's what you want in a shortstop. And I, I was really high on him uh, when South Carolina landed his commitment, when they signed him, when he opted to come to school. So him and 
the rest of this freshman hitter group has a chance to really come in and lay a foundation offensively that South Carolina hasn't had um, really in a couple years. I like it. I like it. I'm I'm on. All right. He's he's my favorite player. It's That's it. You you and Colin Burgess. Like yeah the, yeah well, Burgess. Um, what was it, my nickname for Burgess last it was year? Like that dude from that ninja movie. Tom 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 Tom. Tom Tom. That's what it is. Yes. Yes. Oh man. Um. All right. We're gonna talk a little men's basketball, but first, uh, Colin, have you done your taxes yet, man? I'm not it's, done my taxes. Tax time. I got somebody for you. So, um, the folks, we've got a new sponsor for now. Really, probably for the rest of the year, but certainly for right now, I want to welcome our new sponsor, and that's the folks at Liberty Tax right here in Columbia, South Carolina area, 803-462-5576. Colin, you can overcome your taxiety. You know what taxiety is? That's when you get that nervous feeling in your stomach about your taxes coming up. Maybe you don't know what to do. You don't know exactly how to make it all work. Just hit up the folks. They are Gamecock fans. My man, Larry Slaughter. Right here in town, he's in Irmo, he's in Lexington, and he's at St. Andrews Road in Columbia, locally owned and operated. You can have virtual income tax prep if you don't want to go out in public or local tax professionals in their offices right here. Again, Columbia, Lexington, or um, St. Andrews Road, um, Irmo, excuse me, Columbia, Irmo, Lexington. I want to thank them for, for coming on as a sponsor right here on the show. And for the rest of the show, you will be able to see their phone number, it is tax time, so it's 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 great timing yeah. from, from Larry and those folks. So check it out, 803-462-5576. Again, want to appreciate or thank Larry. We appreciate him for supporting the show here on GC Live. Colin, men's basketball. Uh, I talked about this with Mike yesterday. Um, I watched pretty much that entire game, and – I went to bed that night thinking if South Carolina played at the level that they did against Kentucky, like the level I just saw, that they would not be a four and – is it four and seven? Four and SEC? seven. Four, yeah, four yeah. and seven team in the SEC. Am I, and I know how basketball is. It's up and down. It's roller coaster. Can you get up for each game, matchups, et cetera? I, I know, I know, I know. But it, I, it's got to be frustrating for South Carolina fans out there um, because you see those flashes, I feel like, um, from this team, but they just have not been able to quite put it all together with the consistency that is needed um, so far uh, to win and put themselves in, in tournament contention. Yeah, and you know it's not an apples to you know apples to apples comparison, but you take the effort that they play with against Kentucky and and put it there against Florida, probably win that game, and you're sitting at no worse than what five and six. Uh, you take that and apply it to the first half against Mississippi State or the second half against Arkansas or you know second half against Tennessee, and who knows one of those three might go your way and. That's the frustrating part is that this is not I, – I do not think this is a bad basketball team. I don't. I think this – you know, it, it's a middle of the pack to upper lower of the pack SEC team right now from a statistics standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. The problem is that they just don't put things together consistently enough. And, I mean, when was the last time you saw them play a full 40 minutes of basketball, like good, consistent 40 minutes of basketball? And – that's the frustrating part. They had a really good second half against Georgia, Texas A&M, 
and Vanderbilt. But other than that, it's just been kind of up and down and a good half here, a, a good 10-minute stretch there. And I think that's what the frustrating part is, is that, yes, there are, I think, seven, eight, nine new guys on the roster, but most of them are older. The guys that you're relying on have been in college for three-plus years. Uh, I'm going through their starting lineup right now. I mean, Jermaine Kusnar, fourth-year school, third-year playing. James Reese is a – he's got no more eligibility after this year. I think he's been in college five or six years. Eric Stevenson, the same thing, um, except he has another year of eligibility left. Keyshawn Bryant's a senior. Wilden's a Vex, a junior. Two, I mean, essentially a two-year starter. So you're supposed to not be having these consistent drop-offs. You're supposed to have consistency, whether it's good or, or bad. And the frustrating part is you're not having enough consistency and um, it's really hampered them of late and especially on the offensive end where they're ranking at or near the bottom in a lot of offensive categories. So I don't know if we're quite at the point of of having this conversation, conversation. but but are you hearing an echo all of a sudden, by the way? I'm good. I'm good. Just my laptop. Um, if, um, if, if, if y'all are out there hearing echo, I apologize, but, uh, so Colin, the conversation obviously at some point will be had about Frank's future at the end of the year. Um, what needs to happen for these final few games? Um, I won't put that on you as in like what needs to happen for him to stay, but what, what do you think needs to happen for fans to, feel good about this season. I mean, I, I was, I was on with Jay Phillips earlier this week and he sort of said it like it is. You're getting to the point of the year where it's almost like you have to win the tournament, the SEC tournament to make the big dance. And you just really can't see that happening. Like, I don't think mathematically you're quite there yet, but you're getting yeah close to it. Um, that, that's, that's tough. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I don't think I mean, you probably have to win. I think they got goodness. I'm looking at this 11. They have seven games left. I mean, mm-hmm. you probably have to win five of your seven to even feel comfortable about. And even winning five of your seven, I don't think necessarily puts you into the tournament. I think you have to win five of seven and then win, a, you know, a couple games in the tournament to feel good about your bubble chances. Um they just don't have the metric. I mean, the numbers right now. Yeah, they're above 500, which is good overall in the season. But I'm looking at their metrics right now. They're 106th in the net, which isn't good enough to, for a bubble team. They're 108th in Ken Palm, 93rd in BPI. All these EPI, BPI, KPI numbers are just not good enough. And they're combined four and eight in quad one and quad two opportunities with one quad one win. Um, no real bad losses. I mean, their two quad three losses are to Princeton and Coastal, um, who are good teams this year. Uh, both of those away from home. They're just it's it's not a good enough resume right now. Um, and even if you win five of your last seven or whatever it looks like, you know, depending on who you beat, it might not be good enough to even put you on the bubble. Um, so that's the frustrating part is that you've had opportunities to. You had four straight games against quad one opponents at AM, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Kentucky. And you only and you went one and three. And mm-hmm. you missed the Mississippi State game, 
um, was winnable. The Tennessee game, you played them close for a half. Kentucky, you get better play from James Reese and Eric Stevenson combined, uh, who went one of 10 from three. You might win that game. Who knows how that shakes out? So that's the frustrating part is that you've had opportunities to really put yourself into the conversation and position yourself well in the SEC and you just haven't taken advantage of it. Yeah, so what we said four and seven in SEC play. So even if, yeah. if you go five and two, um, I'm not a math year. major, but nine and nine. Um, yeah. You got to win two or three games in the league tournament to even feel comfortable about a bubble shot at that point. That's yeah. good enough for the NIT, but it's not good enough for yeah the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you're just so far behind at that point, man. You're just uh, fighting from behind. And that, Colin, that seems like the conversation we've had um many, many years lately you know where it's like south carolina is having to fight just to get in that bubble conversation yeah and i think that that's where the frustration comes with this the fan base and mm. it's been that's the frustrating part since that you know i know people talk about the final four run and all that but losing so much that you did the year after it was it would have been hard to make the tournament again in 17 18 but Mm-hmm. I mean, you had chances. I mean, you started 4-0 in league play um, in 18-19, in but you lost at Wyoming. You lost to Stony Brook at home. You had these bad non-con losses that you go 11-7 and in the league and you still don't even make the NIT. So, like, mm-hmm. that's the frustrating part. And then 2020, you lose to – you rattle off these great wins at Clemson, at Virginia, and then lose to Stetson. Um, you go 10 and eight in the league with a late loss at Vanderbilt to really knock your bubble chances. And who knows what would have happened in the SEC tournament that got canceled, but that was an NIT team that year um, at worst. So that's the frustrating part for South Carolina is you've had these chances and you haven't been able to take advantage. Or when you do take advantage in league play, you have these non-conference losses weighing you down. And, And I think that's been the frustrating part. They haven't had like, truly bad non-con losses like they have had in years past, but they just haven't had the success that they've had in the league. Um, you take the league league seasons from 19 and 20 and put it on this year's team, and you're having a completely different conversation. But at this point, it's it's just not that right now. And, and South Carolina just needs to find ways to win um, because if they don't, then they'll be staring at another, another year of not making – the NCAA or potentially not even the NIT tournament. Shout out to Ricky, who is uh, out in Tucson, Arizona. He says he's been watching every episode since day one. Ricky, we appreciate the support, man. Uh, glad you're enjoying it. Um, we're about to get out of here, but, Colin, I got one final question for you, man. Cool. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. This doesn't involve sports. It involves right. food. Jeez. So, here we go. Here we go. All right. He doesn't know what to what to expect. It's, not, it's not hard. I know how bad my food takes are. And I know, like, my wife will, like, at some point listen to this if she's not already, and I'm going to get an earful later on because she's going to yell at me for my bad food takes. Well, she's probably going to also yell at you about how bad my graphics are. So (laughs) we're both going to get yelled at. We're at, uh, speaking of food, Cantina, which, are you you in on Cantina? I'm I'm in on Cantina. It's good. There's hesitation there, Colin. Anyway, we're going there. Not my favorite taco place in Columbia. Okay. Okay. Um, and <laughs> Colin's wife came up to me and was like, hey, who does your graphics on GC Live? And I'm like, most of the time I do. She's like, yeah, they suck. Uh, that wasn't her exact words, but they're, 
gift of it. She's much more, she's much nicer than. Yeah, yeah. but that was what she meant. <laughs> that yeah, was what she meant in yeah. a very nice, polite way. That is yeah. what she meant. Um, but uh, sorry, Michaela, we love you. But um, okay, so everybody has to go check out our Garnet Trust exclusive with Devani Reed. And my question for you is so Devani Reed, he comes into South Carolina, right? From Detroit. When he took his official visit, he had never been to Columbia, never been to South Carolina before. So he's experiencing Columbia for the first time. And um, one of his favorite things about South Carolina, he's like, man, I keep finding all these good food places. And uh, so, hey, yay on you, Columbia. Sometimes people in this state like to hate on Columbia's food options compared to maybe Charleston or Greenville. But we're coming up in the world, I feel like, a little bit. Um, Yeah, now, in Detroit, they don't have Bojangles, apparently. So... Fast food wise, um, and this was not an NIL deal. Um, he said Bojangles right now is his jam. He also said Backstreets, okay. the nachos at Backstreets. So, Colin, for for Devani slash anyone else coming to Columbia for the first time ever, where are you sending them? So, what what what, what needs to be on Devani Reed's list? All right. So for. I'll, I'll I'll even do it like this. We're gonna have like some interesting way to categories. So for let's say you come in on a Friday, dinner Friday night is Rockaways. Okay. Okay. Dinner Friday night, you have a beer and a pimento cheeseburger at Rockaways. Breakfast Saturday morning, cinnamon roll deli. Oh, okay. Well, I'm yeah. I'm in on that. I'm right. in. And then let's say there's no sporting events, so you have three meals on Saturday and then you're going to brunch on, on Sunday, Saturday afternoon for lunch. I'm going Duke's pad Thai. That is, we've discovered it of late and it's, it's become one of my favorite, like go-to spots there. Then I'm going Saturday for dinner. You're going probably Palmetto pig. If you're going to do like a barbecue dinner, like you ha- if, in Colombia, you have to do barbecue at some point. Um, so you get some barbecue and then Sunday as you're leaving town, getting ready to go back. I don't know that many good brunch spots. Halls has a pretty good brunch. Um, I would say go to halls and enjoy a a brunch at halls. I I can't, I can't hate on it too much, Colin. No, it's, it's a pretty fine. Based on our previous disagreements about food, we're actually, we're, we're, we're pretty. Now I, I would maybe just, so I'm going cinnamon roll deli for my Sunday brunch. I think. Okay. Um, then you could do palmetto pig for Saturday lunch, right. and then you could hit halls for that that Saturday night uh, steak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. I hit there. Maybe some market on Main. Um, I feel like you have to go to the wig at some point too. I'm a big wig guy. Yeah, I'm I'm big on Tombow Grill burger. Um, yeah. Maybe Kaminsky's for dessert. Um, but yeah, D- Devani, he's liking what he's seen so far. But I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to tell him, I'm like, you got some, you got some other places to, yeah. to try as well. By the way, um, we're going to get out of here, but there's a place um, near or on, I'm not sure, Percival Road um, over near Garners Ferry, Tacos Nayari. All right. Everybody go try it. Publico is also fantastic. I forgot to include Publico in that mix. It's an underrated one. I don't. I don't go there. 
Detroit had I had one of the most unusually amazing food experiences I've ever had in Detroit, Michigan. So my family went up for a Red Wings game, the final year at Joe Louis Arena. And I'm looking for the place of the the name of the place now, but it was a chili dog place. And it's like this world famous chili dog place. And um, we go and they open, they're only closed for like two hours a day. Like they close at like four, they close at like 6 a.m. and they open back up at like 8 a.m. So we- Yeah, the chili dogs at 8 a.m.? I'm getting there. So the Red Wing game was at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And we were like, we don't want to wait because they close. Like the way it worked was we didn't want to have to wait. So we went to this chili dog place at like 10 in the morning. And the line was like wrapped around. Like it was one of those where like you had to wait to get to a table at 10 in the morning for all these chili dogs. There was this like old, old Greek man running the joint. He sits us down at this table. There's like seven or eight of us next to an ice machine with a panel off the side of the ice machine with exposed wires down the side of it. And we order, he takes our order, does not write a single word of it down. And by the end of it, he just keeps bringing out food until we tell him to stop. Like he did not remember our order and he just kept bringing chili dogs and like orders of fries out. And it was some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. Chili dogs at like 10 in the morning in Detroit, Michigan. So Devani um, coming from a very col- uh, an expertise in, in culinary establishments there. Um, maybe he's, maybe he's been there. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe he I'll, has. I'll um, effort that for you and, and find yeah. out, but um, we're, we're going to send Devani our suggestions so that you can get a better feel of the Columbia um, food uh, food scene, I guess would be the good word for it. But yeah, Columbia folks, that should make you feel good. People like to hate on Columbia sometimes, say we don't have as much Charleston, but we're, we're on the come up. We're on the come up. Um, all right, that's all we got. We're, we're at an hour. We could talk about food for hours. So uh, we're going to get out of here. Colin. Appreciate the time as always, man. Um, everybody go sign up for GamecockCentral.com. It is only $1 for a year right now. That deal will be going away, I imagine, very soon. So go check it out. GamecockCentral.com. One year, $1. Um, no strings attached. Promise you, you won't find a better deal in sports media anywhere. For Colin, I'm Wes. We'll see you later. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.